A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who is desperate to create new recipes. Cauliflower Eclair, anyone? And I'm the disillusioned tea shop owner, who is Jacqueline Berto. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who we know are honing your stand-up skills. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Daniel Thurman, who had some brave attempts at humour. This week we have calls from... Globetrotting Richard, who can't wait for a stand-up comedy night with Jacob. Glyn, who is making family connections... Witherspoon, who is looking for festoon lights. Brian, who found Tom insufferable. Bernadette, who has a slap list but hasn't really listened to this week's episodes. And finally, Jen from Brooklyn, who is learning how to be a bot from Helen. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dump Facebook group by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start chatting too much, Let's remind ourselves of what's happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge coming this week from Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and on Blue Sky too. One day I'll find out how to work with it. Thanks, Rob, for doing last week. I'm back. And it's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. What a week of bad guys. Chief bad guy was sausage boy Tom Archer, who was attempting to be Lord of the Manor, rubbing Fallon's nose in the shambles of the taken-over tea room. He got her to hand over the keys for a photo op, bake up cauliflower clairs with chocolate and kale croissants. I loved it when Emma said it was the most disgusting thing she'd ever eaten. It pains me to say that I cheered for Natasha when she told him off, especially that he couldn't change the name. I almost liked her, but I got over it. Justin tried to do over Lillian and Natasha over the Grange Farm land. He was happy to suggest looking over Natasha's figures. Then she told him they were going to build a house on it. Stop that right now, scriptwriters. Remember, she was the one who suggested the tea room takeover. Harry and Alice reenacted Jules Jim Carner and then nearly had dinner and then did have dinner, where Harrison butted into their evening. I am writing Monday night and much of Tuesday off, where the scriptwriters attempted humour. Lindy Bottom pushed her way into the comedy night 
because of her llamas, or are they alpacas? Anyway, it was a right drama llama. Ardil set up for a night in the polytunnel he bought on eBay. He's done a lot of shopping this week. Chairs from Fallon, cheese and veg from Bridge Farm, and fairy lights from Fallon again. He and Ian Kiston made up with Oliver, and the pizza van is going on its hollybobs to Grey Gables to serve our fresco pizza and wintergreen salads. Don't let Sausage Boy find out as he'll get some grand ideas. All in all, another odd week. Until next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Siri. It's good to have you back again. So, Jacqueline, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> well, the first half of the week was spent uh, spreading germs around uh, the good and the bad and the ugly in uh, central Brittany. And then I, having hosted uh, Loic's aunt uh, on Wednesday evening, she's not an elderly aunt, she's about the same age as him. I, just, I decided I felt so poorly, I'd do a, a COVID test on Thursday. And I had COVID positive, so I'd, I'd translate at the hospital on Tuesday giving it to the auntie on Wednesday. So I'm feeling quite guilty now. And in fact, I'm having a COVID test. The nurse is coming again later on this morning and um, having a COVID test again. And I feel so much better today, but I did sleep Thursday and Friday. So I've had a mad midnight catch up of the archers this week. <laughs> How about you? How's the kitchen coming along? The big question. It's making quite a bit of progress, actually. In fact, over the weekend, I can start moving some of the stuff that's been cluttering up the flat and particularly all the stuff that's been piled up in the bar into the newly installed kitchen cabinets. So I have Ooh. most of it in place, apart from the worktops, which are going to be coming on Wednesday. I've got the ovens where they should be, but the proving drawer, one of the, the things I'm most looking forward to having so I can do my bake-off stuff, that's not going to come till the middle of the week. And the tap has got to be plumbed in later. But it will all, I think, pretty much all be done by the end of the week, which will be good after five weeks of work i'll be yeah. able to actually use the the flat as it's intended rescue my living room and start baking oh i bet you're exciting to all that catching up and there were eclairs on bake-off weren't there this week there were eclairs not cauliflower eclairs thank goodness for that <laughs> that was a very funny thing when he said be honest to uh, emma i know we'll probably talk about it later on but i it was one of the laugh out loud, loud moments this week which has been a bit of a funny week for me anyway. So. There was a lot of stuff packed into the week. I, mm. Looking back over it, I, I realised there were so many different things. Uh, the whole business of the sale of the land at Grange Farm and, yeah. and the various machinations there. The stuff going on at the tea room. The funeral of Ted Barrett. Yeah. Uh, and, and Sykesy. <laughs> Sykesy with, with Sykesy and all the plans for that. And then they, Harry and Alice story as well so yeah, both, but that was interesting wasn't it because it was both the the very first thing we heard on sunday and the very last thing on friday with a bit of a wobble in the middle on wednesday so that's definitely taking form so i'd be interested to see what dumpty dummers think of that story if we've got any calls about that we're about to find out indeed hello tiger mm. And first up is globetrotting Richard. Richard calling in from a cold and wet Lisbon. So lots of very thought-provoking and emotionally compelling plot lines. Alice and Harry. Alice dealing with her demons. Helen 
and Henry and Joy and Rob and Miles. It's all very moving. I don't have much more to say about it. I like the acting. I'm curious about my idea of Borchester Business School using Cambridge as a case study and how not to do things. Obviously, Oliver's failing to manage Ardil and Ardil's failing to manage Ian. The board has its eye up the plot if they care about shooting and not why the project overshot by £625,000. And Ian being motivated by buying a second-hand bankrupt kitchen from Pendermont doesn't sound too plausible. Justin's planning a bid for Borchester Land, Lillian through a horse spa, Brian and Stella for farming, which just doesn't make sense if he has planning permission and road access, unless Brian's not going to be building on the land. So I don't think that stack's not who's going to win. I don't know, bidder's curse maybe. Most importantly, of course, Ains, who owns the intellectual property to the recipe and the empanadas made of kale and cauliflower. I looked it up and they sound hard to cook, but quite tasty. I think Tom will argue that it belongs to him as soon as his orders get Fallon and Emma will break away and start shipping things like cheesy biscuits and empanadas and hopefully make a lot of money. I'm looking forward to the stand-up comedy night. The idea that Jakob is the MC, I find very entertaining. Doing stand-up is hard. If only any of the Archer's characters in their real lives were successful professional comedians, like see, then it would be really funny. Otherwise, I just can't. Unfortunately, it seems that Richard got caught by the two-minute limit on calls. So that was the <laughs> sudden end to what he said. It was very interesting what he said. Yes, I agreed with Richard about the acting. I think we have had some phenomenal acting from people. People tend to go into a bit of a strop about the woodenness of Adam and the inconsistentness. I, I, what I'm, the character I'm liking that Richard didn't mention is Harrison. Harrison has gone into... I'm going to be Mr. Jolly, supportive husband, supportive friend mode. Even when he had the awkward meeting with Alice and Harry on Friday, he was still that kind of almost I've had two or three glasses of wine too many, joyful. And But that seems to be something that's happened recently with him. Is it because he's changed his job? Because they're obviously very stressed about money in that little house, aren't they? So interesting. Business school, Borchester Business School, what? Yes, Ambridge is a model. <laughs> don't, don't follow that one. Well, we've got another call that actually touches on that right at the end. But mm. yes, I, I think that the way that Tom in particular has behaved this week has been utterly intolerable. Not only was he just throwing his weight around even before he'd formally taken over, but he wanted to have that photograph of Fallon basically surrendering her business to him against her will and make out that this is some sort of good, positive thing. Richard mentioned the question of intellectual property over the empanadas. There was a definite mention of the biscuits, and I think that Tom was planning or had ideas about selling some of these biscuits to Greg Abel's rather high-class establishments. They're Fallon's recipe, and mm. I think that that is deliberately being mentioned. I, I think that, that is being set up as a future conflict, and I think a lot of us think that the relationship between Tom on the one hand and Fallon on the other is not going to, to work out and that Fallon is eventually going to walk out on the tea room mm. or tea room or whatever it ends up being called and start up on her own at, probably at the EV charging center when that story returns to the fore. Mm. So Tom also doing that totally unnecessarily stop take. That was another piece been throwing around. And then the crowning irritation, him referring to Fallon as the star. 
Oh, yeah, that was infuriating. It even got to the point where Natasha dressed him down a bit, and I think we various people have, have talked about that already. Yeah. Joyful the moment that as well. <laughs> but that particular storyline through the, through the week, it, it has shown Tom absolutely at his worst. Yeah. And it's possibly even to an, an over-the-top extent, but I think that it is almost certainly going to be pride coming before a fall, and I think the fall is going to be Fallon walking out on them. And the, the sooner she does that, the better for all concerned, except perhaps for Natasha and Tom. But if it's not good for them, then it's good for us as audience. And exactly. So it's pride before Fallon. It's well, been a week a, of a, funny... There's a, com- a farmer's comedy night coming up. Maybe <laughs> you can claim that you're a farmer since you live in a village and, and, yeah. and, and, and put yourself forward for that. Yeah, Can't be worse than Linda. Probably about the same level. <laughs> Shall we move on then to our next call? And that is from Glynn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glynn here. Thursday night has rolled around again. Don't often ring in two weeks in a row, but this week I just had to because because of Tom. And the premise I want to put to you is that Tom is the guilt-free Helen, by which I mean a lot of us don't like Helen, but because of everything she's been through, our dislike is always going to be tinged with a bit of guilt. However, Tom, who shares many of her traits, hasn't been through the same issues, And we can dislike him as much as we like, guilt-free. And quite frankly, this week, there's been a lot to dislike about Tom. I I think I can just leave it there. I think you all know what I'm talking about. The other storyline this week is the sort of Christmas show. And I wonder if we're going to be in for a Christmas treat. Sykesy, or Jasper Carrot, will obviously perform. And will there be a new character coming in, played by Jasper Carrot's daughter, who used to play Haley, and she may come in as Sykes's daughter, perhaps? I think that would be a Christmas treat for many listeners to The Archers. I think that's enough from me for this week. So I hope have a great week in Ambridge, everybody, and stay safe and speak to you all soon. Bye. Thank you for that call, Glyn. It would be fantastic to get Lucy Davies back. She was brilliant as Haley, And there was previous form for an actor playing two significant characters, not at the same time, but one after the other. The most memorable one, I think, is uh, Moya Leslie, who played Sophie Barlow, David's rather drippy girlfriend. Ah, yes. And then returned as Janet Fisher, a very different character, but played by the same actor. Yeah, Sophie was very drippy, wasn't she? Yes, I remember that well. I quite liked her, but she would never have fitted in a farming life. She went off to London, I think, to make a career in fashion. Didn't she come back at some point, though? There was some funny coming back story years later when he was already married with children. She did. Yes, she, she did come back. And I don't know whether she was trying to rekindle things with David, but there was certainly a certain amount of a frisson, a frisson <laughs> as you would call it. <laughs> Indeed. Um, what, what about the Christmas show? How do you feel about a stand-up Christmas show, Stephen? Are you a fan of stand-up? I don't tend to watch it. I, I, I find some stand-up comedians gratingly irritating. Others, they can, it can be quite good, but I, I don't tend to go to stand-up live. So what I get is on, on TV, and that's always going to be somewhat filtered by the way that people get onto television. Mm. So 
it, it's okay. I'm not particularly looking forward to this. It's a sort of vehicle for Jasper Carrot, yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know why he should want to be. Has he, guys, his career flagging so much that he's decided to wheedle his way into the archers? I don't know. But anyway, I can't, don't like to say too much about against the, the actors. And Sykes is a definitely a complicated character. But uh, it wasn't a pleasant surprise to have him back at the funeral this week for me. So now, the funeral was of Ted Barrett. Yes. And he was mentioned by Alan, wasn't he, after he'd been to the 11th of November services? Yes. Now, there's an interesting question, which is that he isn't the first Barrett to appear on the Archers. Oh, my goodness. And indeed, me. the stables, the land that the stables is on, and I think a chunk of Brookfield is what used to be known as Barrett's Farm, otherwise known as Sixpenny Farm, some of which was bought from Fred Barrett by Dan Archer to make Brookfield. But it was, I think, Aunt Laura who bought the farmhouse, and the farmhouse is now the stables. Yeah. And it may be that Ted Barrett, who was born in 1930, is the son of Fred Barrett, who was Dan's contemporary, and Dan was born in the 1890s. Yeah. So it would make sense from an age perspective that he would be the next generation down. So he would be Phil's generation. But Fred sold up quite early on in the history of the program. And so Ted would not have been a farmer, but might well have lived locally. And as was mentioned, I think, in the funeral thing, he was born in Ambridge. Mm. So that I fits think it's quite likely that, yeah. that Ted is the son of Fred and that the stables is built on his own, his childhood home. Ted, the son of Fred. Get your teeth around that at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, our next call starts like this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Agus here. Caller entering on Friday morning. First, on this Wednesday... Handsome Husband and I are hosting our second annual holiday party for the people living on our apartment building floor. Does anyone know where I can score me some festoon lights? Or how about some upcycled furniture? Willing to look overseas for the right ones. I was just listening to one of my favorite podcasts, other than this one, of course, called Mobituaries, hosted by Mo Rocca. I may have mentioned it in the past, kind of like Last Word, but centered around a theme and with much more humor. The latest episode was centered around the lives and deaths of Nepo babies, another term I learned this week in addition to festoon lights. Nepo babies are celebrity children of celebrities. Mo Rocca discussed Edsel Ford, son of Henry, and John Quincy Adams, son of John. So I was reminded of Tom Archer, son of Tony and Pat. Okay, maybe none of them are national celebrities, but in the small village of Ambridge, they are. And boy, I don't think a resident of Ambridge could be more universally detested than Tom right now. He really does believe that he has some special rights as the son of organic farm owners. Scriptwriters, can someone be as totally tone deaf as you made him out to be this week? Poor Fallon was too anxious about losing her job to put him in his place. But Natasha, who had a good week, certainly had no problem doing so. I like Natasha and think she's a good egg who reads people well and shows a fair bit of empathy towards others. Now, briefly, Ian. He was so good with Alice and so bad with Ardo. I don't like angry Ian. It feels very out of character. And Helen, I thought she had a good week. Maybe 
both men in her life disappearing has lightened her emotional load. Let's see how she deals with Tom. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that with a spoon. <clears throat> I always like to hear about another podcast. I spend most of my days listening to podcasts in the background. Should look out for that one. Now, Tom. I think we've already talked about Tom once. I think we're going to talk about Tom again. Yes, son of Tony Archer, first organic farmer in Ambridge, very definitely being lord of the manor. And as Witherspoon said, tone deaf. Uh, the writing was brilliant because he was completely tone deaf to what was going on around him. Even when Emma said, there were so many phrases that he used. As he, I think the problems in the preparation and the cooking rather than the product. So irritating. Yeah, and I agreed with with a spoon on Helen. Helen was, I did find that her moaning about her relationship with Tom and recognising that Tom is going about things in a bombastic way with Fallon and the tea rooms was a good sign that she's actually looking outwards slightly. But then she goes and spoils it all by just talking about her cheese order with Adils. We'll see, hey? The last thing that I don't quite agree with, with a spoon on Natasha, for a reason that I think the caller after this one is going to mention, and I'm completely in agreement with the next caller, so I think we'll leave Natasha until then. I agree with Witherspoon about Ian. I think that he was acting in a somewhat un-Ian way, being yeah. resentful about Ardil's behaviour. Now, absolutely right that Ardil let everybody down quite badly. Ian was jumping into the rather too common Ambridge thing of not letting the other person have, get a word in edgeways and assuming, in this case, the, the worst of anything that Adele had come up with. So I, I think that it's a bit of a... It wasn't Ian in, in his normal way. He's normally the, the diplomatic one. He, he, in his relationship with Adam, certainly, yeah. he tends to be the mollifying, the bridge-building type. And here he was just throwing his weight around and what was that line he said? I may have handed in my resignation, but I still work here, something like that. I mean, I, I don't think he's necessarily moving on anywhere else. I think that he is going to be staying at, at Grey Gables. He definitely is now after Friday's episode. Yes, even if it's just to, to run his pizza van through the winter. Though I just do not see how selling pizzas in a polytunnel has got any connection with the... Grey Gables, the landmark, unique luxury experience that Ardil was selling when he first came in, and which presumably the mysterious shareholders are actually looking to establish. I don't know what agreement he's come to with them, but the idea that you just set up a polytunnel in the grounds of a country house hotel and sell pizzas there and tie that into your identity as a country house yeah it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever so that that's just yet another weirdness around the whole gray gables storyline and i the idea that where did all the people come from yeah uh, to fill At the polytunnel loads of them but also the whole thing with gray gables i know we keep banging on about how confusing it is but we go back to globetrotting richard's call the very first call we had he said why is nobody asking why this went six hundred and eighty-five thousand million pounds over budget? We don't seem to have any. Not that we are privy to those conversations, but the partners turned up to this jazzy drinks thing in the polytunnel, and they must be questioning the budget that they've spent and what they've had to plough into it. 
So I just find it all very nonsensical. Well, they denounced the opening with the black tie yeah. ball event on November the 5th. Yeah. And that just has disappeared. And they're now not even doing an opening. They're just, as I said, throwing up a polytunnel for the villagers to attend, which just feels totally out of character. It, Crazy. It, yes, the whole thing is not right. It tied two ends together, though, didn't it? Ardil trying to make everything right and cosy. And we'd had Ian at the beginning of the week or the end of last week, can't remember which, talking about the pizza van failing in the winter, not getting so many clients, which I think is ridiculous because here in the winter, in central Brittany, when it's dark from five o'clock onwards, you do get a pizza van that comes around several evenings a week and parks in the village, in several villages, so you can go and get your pizza at much more available pizza, <laughs> mobile pizzas in the winter than in the summer. It may be that it's just not very pleasant serving in the van. Though I would have thought that if you've got a, a wood-burning oven, pizza oven in your van, it's going to keep the whole place warm. Yeah, So even exactly. if it's raining outside, you're inside the van. Yeah. There's not going to be an awning or something for the customers to, yeah. to stand under while they wait for it. And, and it shouldn't be a bad experience. So yeah, no. it does seem a bit odd that he's completely written it off. I, I think he talked about bookings, and I guess the problem is that he doesn't have a regular circuit of villages or no. anything like that. He just does events, and there are fewer events in the winter because he will have made his money from festivals and weddings. That's it. I'll be making a list of villages and booking parking places in a village in front of the church for Ian. That's the way to go forward, Ian. Yeah, it's all the way from Darrington to Roserin in the Vale and all these other <laughs> villages that pop up every so often. <laughs> Very weird, but not if he's gone beyond the bypass. Oh, well, Roserin in the Vale, I think, is just the other side of the road between Borchester and Felpersham. <laughs> Let's get on to our next call, which you had previewed slightly, and that's from Brian. Hello, all. It's Brian. Hope you're well. I'm recording this on Thursday before Friday, so God knows what's happened by Friday. But I didn't think my opinion of Tom Archer could get much lower, but he does manage it every time. His finality is only exceeded by his stupidity. It was insufferable this week. What are you thinking of getting disordering Fallon to make these stupid regime Nazar and not me and can't really bait very much? No, it's, it's daft ideas. But getting her to do that, well, I don't think he's ever baited himself in his life. I don't think he even got his ready meals himself. I think he got someone else to do them for him, devise them for him. So if I was Fallon, I would, I think, a policy of malicious compliance is in order. So Fallon could follow every stupid idea he comes up with without question. Just go along with it. And when the cafe's offering kale croissants, £10 a pop because of all the expensive ingredients he's had to source. And it goes down the cards. Fallon can walk away and, and laugh. <laughs> and, and I think that's all we can do, really. I was a bit disappointed that Tasha was on her side. Natasha's not on her side. She's a better business person than Tom is. But yeah, that was just all show, I'm afraid. She didn't really care about your business, Fallon. It was her idea to take the cafe over or it to start with. But there we go. I think that's all. Thanks again. Nice to talk to you. Bye. Thank you for that call, Brian. Yes, Natasha is a bit of a snake in the grass in all of this. I, th I think it was her plan to take over the cafe from Fallon, but I suppose that's why she reckons that it's important to keep Fallon on side in a way that Tom doesn't. Because Jacqueline, you mentioned earlier that, that Tom was acting very much Lord of the Manor and it, talking about him as, as, as the son of Tony in response to, to Witherspoon's remarks about Nepo babies. 
Tom is hugely different from Tony. I think Tony was always combative, and he, I think, has seen Bridge Farm as a struggle mm. all the way through. And he and Pat, the brave pioneers with the organic farming and so on. Whereas Tom, I guess, has taken it all for granted. Brian mentioned that he doesn't think that Tom's ready meals were something that Tom actually cooked. And of course, the whole Tom's start in, in business was taking over his brother's pig enterprise after John's death and doing that with Haley until Haley fell out with Helen in particular over the Bridge Farm Archer's treatment of her and refusal to let her become a partner in the pig mm. business. Since when Tom has lurched from one investor to another, he was heavily involved with Brian for a while, who then they moved the pigs off Bridge Farm onto Home Farm and decertified them for, for organic purposes to meet Brian's more mass market ideas. And then they moved back when Pat and Tony finally bought Bridge Farm out from the estate because they'd previously been tenants. So Tom has had a bit of a privileged background. Natasha has come from a much harder background. She, I mean, she really has built up her business from nothing. She's was presented initially as this really excellent sort of business guru almost. I think that Tom mm. met her when she was giving advice on some scheme or other. I can't remember the name of the scheme that he, they were some on. Some kind of marketing farm, farm produce from the farm. Yeah. She's but... deeply irritating in so many ways with her mm. focus on her fruit juice business being aspirational mm. and obviously the the clippity clop of her shoes as she wanders around the village very distinctive but she does do people a lot better than tom does yeah and she knows how to be diplomatic when and she does show empathy it's her that volunteered to go and help kirsty wasn't it when she was looking for the missing slaves she's volunteered to go with helen to meet rob there are parts of her that, yes, she is able to, she's a people person, which Tom definitely isn't. And in fact, the fact that she turned around this week and said to Tom, now look here, Tom, you've had your way over the menu. I'm going to come down on the side of the naming of the tea room. I think we need to cancel it. Very, very curious, because I think she manages Tom extremely well to get the best out of him. Because he seems to be a, yeah, I've gone with it, we'll do it, we'll do it, and then he gets himself dug in too deep. He, I, I did admire Natasha talking to her husband like that. And I also had, was very interested with her conversation with Justin because I thought right from the start, she can see right through Justin. She was playing a role there, which is a, something yeah. that we've not had any calls about at all, Justin and uh, Lillian and the land. There is a lot to, to be said about the land. Yes, it's, it's odd that nobody has called in about it. I guess we're building towards the auction which I think, is it the end of this coming week or the week I think after it's the next? End, I think it's the end of this week. Because Justin said on Tuesday, 10 days. So that brings us up to about Thursday or Friday this next week. So it'll be interesting. So next weekend we'll be talking all about the auction and whoever has walked away with those <laughs> 10 acres of land. Going back to, I think it was Richard who mentioned the question about the nonsense of the land going to farming I certainly think that the bridge farm idea of growing flowers on it seems very odd. I, d I don't know how much organic flower growing there is, but by and large, flowers are not grown organically because they're quite sensitive and it's the uniformity that you need to be able to guarantee your market. So I suppose if you're going to chop it all up into organic pet flower petal 
confetti, that might be slightly different. But even it does seem an odd thing. Richard mentioned that there was planning permission for the land. There is that barn, the one that Eddie mm -hmm. uses, and I suspect that there is permitted development which allows that to be turned into something. And it's often easier if, if it's agricultural accommodation, so accommodation for people who are going to work on the farm. But otherwise, I think if it stays within the footprint of the existing buildings, there's a certain amount that you can do, maybe a single home, turn bunk conversions into a single home. You can't build a plot of 10 houses on that with the sort of planning permission that is likely to be there at the moment. It would mm. be for the purchaser to get a change of use type planning permission. And we don't know really what Borsetshire Council planning plans oh, no. are. They did manage, for instance, to get the land that Pat and Tony sold turned into beechwood. So that was definitely houses being built on previously agricultural land. So there is previous form for that being permitted. But even so, it's a long process. And I, I think at the moment, we've got the plausible use, the existing footprint of buildings for equine purposes. And I think there's probably, if they build an outdoor arena there, that would be sufficiently agricultural. They wouldn't need to have no. a change of use. There's quite a lot of uh, chat on social media about this idea of an outdoor arena, but I think people were confusing an outdoor arena and an outdoor school because they've definitely got an outdoor school at the stables as well as an indoor school. So an arena, which I, I was quite curious about because we've got an equestrian centre here and uh, she's recently massively expanded her outdoor arena and is having a lot of shows, competitions, and uh, some of the pre-Olympic trainings going on. So that's interesting. So the school is going to be the size of a, a dressage yeah. ring so that they can do dressage. And they can also do small-scale jumping within yeah. that area. But the outdoor arena would be somewhat bigger yeah. and would allow them to have more than just pony club type show jumping, but a, a proper yeah, uh, competitive exactly. show jumping course. Yeah. A bit like swimming pools, there's a normal size, domestic size, normal size, and um, Olympic size. So I think that uh, 10 acres would be just about right for um, an Olympic size uh, show jumping ring. Plus, you'd need the parking, or at least ah, the, well. the sort ah, of well. not, not tarmac parking, because you'd expect people to turn up with their boxes. But you'd need the, the room for people to park their Land Rovers and horse boxes. You'd need the facilities to support the the stabling even a if it's cafe. only sort of short term you a need cafe. some sort of ways of, of feeding and generally keeping your audience happy yeah but i think i think 10 acres maybe isn't enough then in that case you think about it i also forget because i kind of live in the ambridge fairyland whereas this is 10 acres it could be all arena and or spa or whatever well 10 okay. acres would be a huge arena how big is a football pitch is only a couple of acres isn't it Oh, don't, don't ask me. We're, we deal in hectares here, and I've been, we've been doing a land deal this week at the hectare. I'd keep thinking, how much is that? How many square metres is that? I can think in square metres, but not acres. I've no idea. I assume 10 acres isn't that much. 10 what? acres is four hectares. Oh, well, it's quite a lot then. Yeah, yes. you're right. <laughs> yes, there was probably room for an outdoor arena and parking. Because a lot of people, when they go to the big outdoor arenas for shows, they come in big horse boxes with several horse bo horses. They're not just a Range Rover pulling Maisie's, Lizzie's uh, ponies. 
Yeah, so. certainly those for the professionals, they have these yeah. enormous, great motorized horse things. Which is the reason that I have an HGV license. There you are, horse pops weren't driving. <laughs> well, I didn't know you had an HGV license at all. That well, may come just, in useful one of these days. You never know. It's just lapsed, sadly, because the French at the age of 60 have to have medical visits every two years, and I forgot, and so it's been lapsed. So they... Anyway, those are the first few calls, and there are plenty more where they came from, which we will hear very soon. Now, as Jacqueline mentioned last week, we've closed down the Dumpty Dum website. So those of you who used to use it to access SpeakPipe will now, I'm afraid, have to go directly to SpeakPipe and leave your message there. But instead of the website, we have the ever-expanding Facebook page, which is up and running at full pelt, and we'll find out whether we've got even more members coming after last week's big number. And we'd encourage you all to join in us there and join in the conversations but that should be an addition to and not a substitute for calling in because the heart of this podcast is your calls and we do want your contributions, your calls, your emails and so forth. And so now Jacqueline is going to tell you how you can join the fun and frolics by calling in or writing in. <laughs> the first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumtdum. Don't forget the T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881 or plus 44 four and remove that first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. But finally, we have an email address that you can contact us on. If you would rather write maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is Dumb at tdumb at mail.com. Please bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, let's get back to our calls. Next up is Bernadette. Hi, Bernadette Hawks here, Archers fan 2015. I'm not sure if I should be ringing in, really, because I haven't listened to any of the episodes because I'm so cross and exasperated by some of the stupid storylines that we've had in the past two or three weeks and also the trauma of some of the storylines. And for personal reasons, which some of you know, I found some of the storylines quite harrowing. 
But I do think I've had an interesting experience because I've just been reading the tweets because I can't bear not to know something of what's going on in the archers. And they're, as always, they're very entertaining and you get a fairly good sense of the storyline, mostly this week, that Tom is an out-and-out prat, twat, or any other word ended with T. And Ian is close behind. So I think I'm going to do something even more radical. I'm going to publish a slap list without listening to any episodes this week and see what people make of it. Thanks for listening to my ramblings and probably won't be back next week, but I'll maybe back the week after. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much for that call, Bernadette. Yes, brilliant call. I love the fact that Dumpty Dum community, Twitter, Blue Sky, etc. means that we can have an opinion about the Archers without even really listening. I have to admit to doing sometimes the same because I never get to listen to the Archers live. So quite often in the mornings, I scoot through the Twitter, the Blue Sky and the Facebook page and then try and work out and listen to the Archers from the night before whilst out walking the dogs. I've already worked out who I'm going to like and who I'm not going to like just from other people's views. So a good way to do it, Bernadette, especially if things are triggering and the story, the, the storyline has been distressing recently. I don't think anybody enjoyed the uh, return of, a bit of Rob. A so, yeah, glad that's over. Yes, thank you, Bernadette. And I, I agree that the social media around the Archers does add a certain amount to it. Uh, the, the tweet along and now the increasing number of people who are doing that on Blue Sky, which we'll pick up a bit later on with Theo. Personally, I do try and listen to The Archers as it's broadcast on the radio each evening, because if I don't, then by the time we get to the end of the week, it's a mad rush to, to catch up on what's been going on in preparation for this, because we do like to try and sound as if we know what's going on in the programme, <laughs> even if we don't always quite succeed. Anyway, let's move on to our final call. And that is from Jen in Brooklyn. This is Jen from Brooklyn, and I've been thinking about other people's reactions to the characters and realizing that myself, I'm I'm pretty neutral and open-minded about a lot of the characters on Ambridge. I just love them. I think I, I empathize with all of them. So for Rab, really, Rab was like it, I think, for characters that I, I had no feelings for at all. And I think that might be because as I began listening to the archers when there were odd quirks or things that seemed unsavory. Maybe I just initially chalked it up to cultural differences between me and British people. At any rate, I'm enjoying watching Tom and Helen be horrible bosses. And I just learned so much about that. I'm a boss myself and I get really uncomfortable with Helen in particular because I feel like on my more tired days, I spend not enough time giving the team context for our decisions and trying to get their buy-in and asking them for their ideas. I often, I mean, not often, but I, I know that feeling of just being like, oh, that's what we're doing because I said it and let's move on. Anyway, again, I don't want to be like that. But thank you, Archers, for helping me go through that. And thank you, Dum Dum, for all the commentary. Bye. And thank you, Jen, for that call. It's good to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. I think that Helen is a great example of a really bad manager. She really fails to communicate. I think the, the most obvious example of that was the window in the dairy where it was just decided and then Clary and Susan were just told that it was going to happen and they reacted somewhat differently to it. 
it certainly was not handled the way it should. So I, I think that in terms of learning how to be a boss from the archers, I think, Jen, you're very much in the same position that Richard is from the earlier call that Ambridge provides loads of examples of how not to do things. <laughs> but it's also great that you empathise with so many of the characters because I think it's very easy for us to be rude about characters. It's more fun in some ways to be rude about the characters in ways that we would never, I think, even think about being rude about real people. And I, for me, I think being horrible about Rory or Helen or any of the, the various other people is a way of just almost venting and so forth and, and, and being unfiltered. And I think I've said this before, the difference between the characters and the real people is that what you hear on the radio is all there is and you're free to fill in the bits and until the script comes along and tells you something factual that's different, it's not like there's a real person out there and that they've got a, a, a deep hinterland behind what they're saying. Yes, they have, in many cases, decades of, of history on the radio, but that's still just paper thin compared to real people. So I, I think that it's important to distinguish between the way we feel about the characters for better or for worse and the way we feel about real people and I always try and do that so if I ever come across as being callous or so forth about character on the archers that's a sort of conscious thing I'm, I'm allowing myself to be so. Yeah I agree yeah great call Jen because I think I think I was probably very neutral about a lot of the characters it was just a story I didn't have an opinion about them Probably until about 10 years ago, probably about when Dumpty Dum started and I started having a bit more feedback because I've never really had anybody up until then to talk to, to listen to what other people's views were. And one of the things about Dumpty Dum in the beginning, and even, even more so now that I'm involved with it, I used to take the storylines just as stories of country people that are living an ordinary life. And yeah, sometimes things would be a bit weird, but hearing other people's views and actually being surprised by other people's views and people see so much more than me sometimes. That's why I like following all the social media stuff to see what other people are thinking, what people got out of it. Sometimes people see so much more than I do and it helps me with this, making this podcast. So yeah. Yeah, I, I sometimes find people talking about something that somebody said in the programme and I had managed to miss them actually saying that. Ditto, yeah. And I go back and listen again and think, oh, how could I possibly have missed that? But partly I think it's if you're um, tweeting along to the program or doing the same on, on Blue Sky, then you're focusing on what you're typing half the time and that makes it harder to listen. So while it, it's fun to do that from the perspective of a podcast host like us, we need to be careful. We do actually go back and... <laughs> and listen properly and make sure that we actually do catch everything so that when people call in about it, we can not be surprised and say, oh, I didn't even know that that had happened. <laughs> sometimes things do, even uh, with two listens and uh, follow through on social media. Sometimes people, somebody, I listen to a call from someone before we go on air and I think, gosh, I missed that completely. So it just goes to show, I think I must do everything at 1.5 speed. And not take it all in. But I think we're in danger of revealing too much of the magic that goes on behind the scenes oh, yeah. of making this podcast. De definitely. We, sorry, sorry, sorry. We need, sorry, need sorry. to persuade everybody that it, <laughs> that it just ma magically happens and that we're these wise oracles. 
And the... Well, you can take that mantle, Stephen, not me. <laughs> and this it all falls into place. So those are the calls. Thank you very much for calling in. Please do call again next week. We always like hearing from you. We particularly like hearing from first-time caller inners. So if you've never called before, make sure that there's something to call about, whether it's the auction of the, the Grange Farm land or it's the prospects of a Christmas stand-up show <laughs> or the future of Grey Gables or anything else. Just please do call in. Now, let's move on to Facebook, where we have 2,500 very active, friendly and erudite members and we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest contingent of them, who are Stephen Sharp, Keith Hawes, Karen Turner, Karen Rountree, A.L. Cam, Joe Munro, Shane Bright, Mary Ray, Mark Hussey, Lucy Luciana Badger, Iona Mitchell, Victoria Rodham, Janata Mean, Denise Leonard, Alison Griffiths, Zoe L. Sprackling, Alison Chapman, Hannah McCulley, and Lisa Garwood. So, should we find out what our Facebook group's been talking about this week? And it's that other, much nicer Rob with his review here. Hello there, everyone. It's the other, well, the remaining Rob with the social media round. The latest romantic storyline, Alice and Harry, wasn't sitting too well with Sarah Farmer. Never been so close to giving up with the archers. I know people get fed up with me complaining about the horse-related stuff, but this can't go on unchanged. Okay, they have chosen to make Alice's new boyfriend more wooden than Adam, but a professional yard and riding school that doesn't already have an outdoor school and wanting to build one off-site? How does she get her beginners and their ponies there? Then there's Alice's implausible equestrian achievements. Nobody who has actually done a bit of low-level competition would talk about that. But the most ridiculous thing? Blair Castle. It's a four-star event in Scotland, so I don't think Alice went there with her pony. And after that, there was the funeral, which was more of a catalyst than a memorial. Jonah Titchmarch asked, how big is St Stephen's? Sounds like Alan was one end of an aircraft hangar and sighted it at the other. Fortunately, our very own saintly Stephen boat was on hand to tell us that he was sure about exact dimensions, but there is a four-bay nave with north and south aisles, a three-bay chancel with north and south transepts, a north vestry and a south chapel. Inside the porch, a railed wooden staircase provides access to the belfry and the western gallery. Me neither. And while we're in the vicinity of the church, Chris Gibson noted, So, Alan who has the job of being a vicar to an empty church, finally has someone to take the job of fundraising and event planning off his hands, and he's upset about Alan Franks is consistently stupid. Unfortunately, Agri-Gag, as it seems to be heading to be, is ruffling feathers. Martin van den Herbel said, Linda sees herself as a farmer. She looks her after her dog and llamas. She might call herself a vet if she wishes. She owns a shepherd's hut, which makes her a shepherdess. But can she survive a stand-up comedian? The other farmer comedians will mock him, I fear, and the audience might heckle her. Can she handle that? She's no Joe Brown or Michael McIntyre. Another source of irritation was the tea room, or tantrum, as Tom was going to rename it. Darcy Jorgensen said, Tom, want to go Swedish? Rename it Bika, which, if you look it up, is far nicer than he deserves. 
Genevieve Ann Holmes was ticked off by Tom saying she is staff after all. Jeez, how Natasha didn't wallop him one, I don't know. He definitely had that coming and got off lightly. While Kent Penfold observed, Natasha is definitely the brains in that relationship. In fact, I'm not sure what Tom does bring. Oh, oh yes, he's due to inherit half a farm, and I can see that getting nasty if Pat and Tony include Johnny in the inheritance. Meanwhile, Ruth Pearl wondered, how is Tom coming up with his recipes? And then finally, there was the Peronesque fall and rise of Adil Shah, or as Johnny Titchmarch put it, Ardil has put on an event virtually single-handedly when he was only capable of gibbering this time last week. Overall, though, I think that Leslie Greaves summed it up quite succinctly. What, with Ian whinging, Tom being a complete arse, and the comedy, I might see you on the other side of Christmas. And that's it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages, and hope to be in touch with all of you soon. Be warned, though, when the chat, chat starts, you can be there for hours. See you all. Bye now. Thank you, Rob, and thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do, but don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you are a real person. Now, did we have any reviews this week? We did, yes, and it's a lovely one. Not only five stars, but it's very complimentary. And it's from Archer's Lover number 127, who is in the USA. And it's entitled, You All Is My Lifeline. You see, I'm practicing for going to California. I count the days down till Sunday when Dumpty Dum is available. To put it succinctly, Stephen is my boyfriend and Jacqueline is who I want to be when I grow up. Their knowledge of the Archers is uncanny. And as a fellow American, shout out to Tracy in California and Witherspoon with Angus Haggis. Oh, that's a lovely one, isn't it? That is a lovely one. So, Archers Lovers number 127, wherever you are in the United States, do call in and tell us more about yourself and give us your views on the Archers. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Now on to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, so the visually impaired who use Screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at at Winlock House. And I can be found at at Jberto Sanguen. But we're both spending a lot more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky. It's getting a bit busier there now, isn't it? Where I am, at jberto.bsky.social. And I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And now let's find out who has won the tweeting medals this week. Tweet, tweet, Pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of tweets of the week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, Sally and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on both Twitter and Blue Sky, there's been a lot of discussion of whether this stand-up Christmas show was the sole reason for Jasper Carrot appearing as Sykesy some time ago, or whether his return this week came after someone had the brainwave of an agricultural open mic night. But whatever the reason, it's prompted some good punning by the Twitterati and, um, what should we call them, the Blue Skyers? I don't know. But I particularly enjoyed a two-hander from Sarah Mattox, at Sarah Mattox, who said, They'll be queuing for tickets round the block for sheep-related jokes. 
To which Ian at Rutherium replied, I tried counting the sheep jokes in last night's episode, but I ended up falling asleep. While Jenny Williams at Jenny W. Dog posted a picture of her kitchen implements and veg to say, I was about to grate some carrots and up pops a grating Jasper carrot. There was also a lot of disbelief at the awful behaviour of Tom and Ian, who seemed to be competing to be at the head of Bernadette's slap list this week. And there were a lot of very strange recipe suggestions for Tom to try next. On which note, over to my medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Julia Lee, at Julia Lee Author. So, the new tea room business plan is just Tom running into the kitchen shouting, Potato panna cotta, sausage lemon tart, sprout meal foy, shut up actual cooks, you're so damn negative, and why haven't you hung the no plebs sign on the door, like I said? The silver medalist is Glyn Fullerlove, at glyn12gh.bsky.social. Tonight's star baker was Fallon. Leaving the tea room, hopefully forever, was Tom. And the gold medal goes to at Rainbow Warrior, who actually posted two tweets on the same topic, but I'm treating them as one. Can I tempt anyone to a broccoli blini or a beetroot baklava or just a bucket? It's all the right foods, but definitely in the wrong order. This is like Ruth's welcome lychee pizza all over again. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo. And congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. I'm afraid Jacqueline is still struggling with the concept of welcome lychee pizza. So maybe a few minutes before she gets talk properly again <laughs> yeah people anyway. don't realize i don't listen to i don't hear the tweets of the week report until it's actually live or recording and that, that's absolutely a brilliant gold perfectly picked pitched and perfectly picked theo good lightning in well i'm feeling slightly ill anyways and don't forget we're on instagram at dumpty dum where theo also looks after things and we will be back again next week. And as usual, we're recording on Saturday morning. So please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. So as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors. That's you lot and the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community, you make doing this podcast really worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We are now off to organise our own pop-up polytunnel pizzeria. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. Dum 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 